Now it happened that Kanga had felt rather motherly that morning, and wanting to count things, like Rue's vests and how many pieces of soap there were left and the two clean spots in Tigger's feeder, so she had sent them out with a packet of watercress sandwiches for Rue and a packet of extract of malt sandwiches for Tigger to have a nice long morning in the forest, not getting into mischief, and off they had gone. And as they went, Tigger told Rue, who wanted to know all about the things that Tigger's could do. There are those who disregard the needs of others for the sake of themselves, and there are those who disregard the needs of themselves for the sake of others. Kangas belong to this second group. So raising a successful Kanga who can withstand the pressures of this world includes a lot of learning about healthy boundaries. Welcome to Beyond Curriculum. I'm your host, Julie Moore. As homeschool parents, we accept enormous responsibility for our children's future while facing a lot of criticism and little support. The Beyond Curriculum podcast includes episodes, blog posts, and other resources designed to keep us encouraged, grow our skills, and connect us as a community regardless of the curriculum we use. Together, we can educate our children with confidence and peace of mind. This is the third episode of Season 2 in which the classic characters of the 100 Acre Wood are helping us understand the unique personalities of each one of our children. So be sure to listen to episodes 10 and 11 if this is your first time joining the podcast. Today we're meeting Kanga, commercial-free thanks to patrons just like you who support the show with a contribution starting as low as $2 a month. If you would like to become a patron, go to beyondcurriculumpodcast.com, click support the show, and choose the contribution level that fits with your budget. And now, on with the show. They say Kangas are the easiest children to raise. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not. For you, like all parents, her childhood has been something of a roller coaster with its own unique ups and downs. From the beginning, Kanga has mostly been a happy, talkative little person who always wants to be with people. As soon as she can toddle around, she wants to help you with chores. Her playtime imitates real life with dress up and pretend, mimicking real circumstances like a little grown up. It was easy to prepare her for the new baby coming into the family. You found one of your favorite childhood little golden books at an antique mall, Baby Deer, by Esther and Eloise Wilkin. You plan to thwart the horror stories of new baby jealousy by reading this book to Kanga almost daily. She studied the beautifully illustrated pages of a little girl just like herself who took care of her precious baby doll just like mommy took care of the new baby. And when Kanga's baby sister arrived, she took it all in stride. She was a great big sister. And just like the little storybook, she played the role of little mommy brilliantly. Smooth sailing. But just a few weeks later, you were shocked to see Kanga's nurturing side get way out of hand. As life returned to normal and you started getting the hang of a new routine, Kanga also returned to her usual bubbly, talkative self. In fact, she's so bubbly and talkative that sometimes you wonder if it's your imagination or if your ears are actually tired from taking in the nonstop noise machine that is your sweet little Kanga. Thankfully, lunchtime comes to the rescue. While Kanga is eating, you get baby down for a nap. You know this one is probably just a cat nap, so you hold your breath as you gently transfer the baby into a little bouncy bed that sits in the floor of the living room. 
Kanga finishes her lunch and you pull up a VeggieTales episode to keep her entertained as you enjoy some quasi-alone time with your own lunch, still in eyesight of your littles in the living room. You get lost in some thought in your tired postpartum brain when all of a sudden you realize what your eyes are witnessing. Kanga is standing in the middle of the floor with her new baby sister dangling in a toddler-sized bear hug. Kanga locks eyes with you and is suddenly aware of the look of horror on your face. She freezes mid-stride. And now you face a moment of decision. If you rush her, Kanga will likely drop her baby sister. But if you don't get there quickly enough, Kanga will likely drop her baby sister. You try to split the difference, but to no avail. A split second before you're within reach, Kanga opens her arms and takes a step back as if attempting to reverse her decision to move her sister. Thankfully, Kanga is not much taller than the baby, who falls just an inch or two to the ground, bumps her little bottom, and falls back onto the carpeted floor. Bumping her head ever so slightly causes her to startle and cry, but not out of true pain. Still, it's all too much for you to take. You scoop baby up and hug her close as you sit on the floor and burst into tears. Kanga still stands, frozen, eyes wide with concern, trying to explain that baby sister couldn't see the TV. And that's when you realize that raising this sweet, loving, tender-hearted Kanga may be more of a challenge than you originally anticipated. These toddler scenes are very different from rabbits. So if this sounds closer to your experience, you may be the mom of a Kanga. Kangas are fairly common, making up about 16% of the population. To return to our playground analogy, if there are 10 kids on the playground, there's a very good chance at least one of them is a Kanga. Can you spot her? Or him? Kangas are twice as likely to be girls as boys, but there are boy Kangas too. All Kangas are unique. Your Kanga may not demonstrate all of the characteristics mentioned today or may not demonstrate them to the same degree of intensity. But if your child really is a Kanga, most of what you hear should sound quite familiar. One thing stands out with Kangas. It's what they're known for, their natural ability and drive to take care of others. It comes from their preferred way to interact with the world through feelings. It's like they come pre-installed with an emotional barometer that allows them to read what everyone around them wants and feels and expects. Kangas are all too driven to meet those needs. It is their greatest asset and their biggest liability all at the same time. Hi, I'm Christy, and I'm the mom of two Kangas. Kangas tend to be very pleasant children. They are fun to interact with. They tend to want to be very cooperative with you as a parent. But when you tell them no to things, instead of being the child that gets in your face and says, I'm not going to cooperate with you, they're the child that says, okay, but then doesn't do it. So that ends up being an interesting aspect when you're raising and disciplining these children is following up, finding out if they did what they said they were going to do, and then following through with discipline, even in the face of a very pleasant, smiling child. I'm an owl, and as an owl parent, 
I am really good at finding the obstacles and the problems. They want you to be excited about their ideas and see the potential. But as an owl, I tend to think, okay, that's a great idea, but here's 10 obstacles that might get in the way. Let's make a plan for how we're going to handle those obstacles. Or let's decide if that idea is really something we can pull off before we jump into it. Any conflict we ever had in life was about that. You need to realize the different approaches that they're taking and not rain on their parade too early because they think that you are not for them when you show them problems or obstacles to their ideas. It was really important that they feel like I like them. Another thing I learned, they really like to include other people. They tended to make friendships with a broader base of friends, and their friendships were very important to them. Sometimes they were torn between who to please, whether I should please my friend, whether I should please my parents. If you have a more passive kanga, they might have a friend that wants to jump in and kind of make decisions for them, which is kind of comfortable for a kanga, but not always healthy. So when your kanga has a friend that maybe isn't the best influence, it becomes kind of a delicate situation to navigate because they are so loyal to their friends, they really don't want to hurt or offend their friend. So it need to tread carefully on that, give a lot of compliments to the friend, talk about the good qualities that they have, and you can understand why they like them and maybe compliment them on what a good friend they've been to this person but then kind of coaching them through which decisions they're responsible for, which decisions their friends are responsible for. And that doesn't mean that anybody is good or bad, but they have to be able to find some ways to make some boundaries in their relationships. Homeschooling Kanga just kind of happens. She's not necessarily motivated by the accumulation of knowledge, but she is motivated to be with you. And if that means doing schoolwork, then she's happy to comply. To her, it's just a different way to play together. But she's a little slow to warm up to this new game. It seems to have a lot of boring rules to follow. For example, rote memorization, not so much fun. Math, not so much fun, unless it connects to people somehow. Cooking, party planning, things like that. Writing a paragraph even has rules. Kanga likes to make the page look pretty as she writes. Words written in gray pencil, evenly spaced and sized, always starting at the left of the page, are boring. She prefers different colored pencils and varied sizes of certain words for emphasis. Rather than a boring block of text, a centered paragraph that makes an interesting shape on the paper is a much better choice. So school often presents you with opportunities to figure out how to deliver the necessary constructive criticism to Kanga while still communicating love and acceptance of her perspectives and values. Some days you succeed, other days it's just too much. But Kanga's not one to make waves. When she knows what is expected of her, generally she adjusts her actions accordingly. You start to realize this chameleon-like behavior can be a double-edged sword. On the positive side, Kanga really likes to please others, to communicate value to them. For her ninth birthday, she plans her entire party around the activities she knows each of her guests enjoy. She even goes so far as to make presents for them. But other times when she's up against a task she doesn't want to do, she looks for a way out that doesn't rock the boat. 
Kanga becomes a master at flying under the radar. Most of the time, this shows up when you discover that Kanga hasn't done certain chores, usually the more solitary and unpleasant ones, for several days, maybe even weeks if you're particularly distracted. At chore time, she wanders around. You see her doing chores. She even checks them all off her list. But eventually you can tell the sink isn't getting wiped down each day or the laundry isn't really getting sorted. Kanga is the kid who bursts into tears with most of the traditional approaches to discipline, but tears don't necessarily guarantee changed behavior with her. You start to realize that with Kanga, discipline has to be done with the long term in mind. She has to be led to understand that it's a matter of integrity. Checking off a chore she knows she didn't do is lying. It would be more acceptable to say she wasn't going to do the chore than to lie about it. So you begin adjusting your discipline techniques to involve perspective-shaping conversations and letting the natural consequences of her choices land squarely on her shoulders. If she doesn't sort the laundry on a small daily basis, she'll have to sort the whole week's worth instead before it goes through the machines. It's not personal. It's life. I'm Katie, and I am a Kanga. Conflict is not something that I ever want to have happen. Others might think (laughs) that that, that's just normal. They're just talking about ideas or um, different things. My siblings like to debate for fun, and that is not anything that I would ever do. Um, Usually if I'm going to have a conflict about something, it will be over something that really matters to me, but it won't be just for fun. When a conflict arises, 10,000 red flags go off in my head. I begin getting stressed. My heart rate goes up. I generally get really tense. My breathing gets really tense. Like I'm physically holding my breath, but also I'm mentally and emotionally trying to hold my breath until the conflict can resolve. Trying to think through what I'm going to say before I say it. My brain starts racing through. How can I end this conflict? Like what is the other person looking for? Um, How can I help them understand what's going on? that maybe they don't understand, or is there something that I don't understand? If the conflict um, involves me, it's really easy for me to get defensive because it feels like it's pointed towards me as a person and not necessarily the um, idea that we're discussing. So I have to remember in different conflict situations, this is an idea. It may or may not be something that's directly related to me, That helps me um, kind of work through the conflict a little bit better, knowing that in the end, we want the same goal. We want to have a resolve to the conflict in whatever it is. I would not say that I want to avoid all conflict. I don't like conflict, but if conflict is necessary for something to go better than it is currently going, then I will absolutely 100% charge through that conflict because Um, the end goal is worth it. At any point when a conflict arises, whatever we're talking about or discussing, it's a big fear of mine that the conflict itself will cause a loss of relationship. It's really important to me that, you know, maybe afterwards it can be cleared up and just reestablished as, yes, our relationship is still good, or yes, our relationship is better because we had this conflict, or something came out of this conflict that was helpful. Yeah, I think there just needs to be a balance of both positivity 
in the relationship and encouragement and the negative side of conflict. When they got to Owl's old house, they found everybody else there except Eeyore. Christopher Robin was telling them what to do, and Rabbit was telling them again directly afterwards, in case they hadn't heard, and then they were all doing it. They had got a rope and were pulling Owl's chairs and pictures and things out of his old house so as to be ready to put them into his new one. Kanga was down below tying things on and calling out to Owl, You won't want this dirty old dishcloth anymore, will you? And what about this carpet? It's all in holes. And Owl was calling back indignantly, Of course I do. It's just a question of arranging the furniture properly. And it isn't a dishcloth, it's my shawl. Every now and then Rue fell in and came back on the rope with the next article, which flustered Kanga because she never knew where to look for him. So she got cross with Owl and said that his house was a disgrace. All damp and dirty and it was quite time it did tumble down. Look at that horrid bunch of toadstools growing out of the floor there. So Owl looked down, a little surprised because he didn't know about this. And then he gave a short sarcastic laugh and explained that this was his sponge and that if people didn't know a perfectly ordinary bath sponge when they saw it, things were coming to a pretty pass. Well, said Kanga, and Rue fell in quickly crying, I must see Owl sponge. Oh, there it is. Oh, Owl, Owl, it isn't a sponge. It's a spudge. Do you know what a spudge is, Owl? It's when your sponge gets all... And Kanga said, Rue, dear, very quickly, because that's not the way to talk to anybody who can spell Tuesday. But they were all quite happy when Pooh and Piglet came along, and they stopped working in order to have a little rest and listen to Pooh's new song. The junior high years can be hard for a Kanga. School itself becomes more interesting as the complex people-oriented subjects of literature, history, and culture study with foreign language get added in. But the relationships get more challenging, even for a homeschooled Kanga. Every kid this age wonders who they are, where they fit, and why any of it matters. But Kanga feels this struggle in herself and in everyone else around her. So when the interpersonal conflict appears, as it always does in junior high, Kanga springs into action as the peacemaker whether her services are requested or not. But the peacemaking doesn't stay outside. It comes into her home as well. Age-related differences between Kanga and her older sister mean there is suddenly an awkward distance between them. The slightest conflict between you and your husband caused Kanga to quietly disappear into her room. And when she shares about immature or unwise choices her friends make, you find your hands are metaphorically tied behind your back in counsel to Kanga. Her optimism and loyalty to her friends means she will not hear your criticism of how they handle the situation. You're at a loss on how to help her. Your heart hurts, and so does hers. In fact, it seems lately that everything on Kanga hurts. She keeps picking at her fingers until the cuticles are practically raw. Complaints of stomach aches and headaches have become all but normal. Her muscles are so tight, she says it feels like her shoulders are drawn up around her ears and she may never relax her forehead again. Looking at her, she's not exaggerating by much. And that's when the blinking starts. You don't really notice it at first, but soon it becomes so frequent you can't help but notice. You ask Kanga about it and she doesn't have a lot of helpful information to give you. Her best effort at explaining it is that it feels like a sneeze building up until she can't hold it back anymore and she blinks. Well, this is all she needs. It's just a matter of time before other kids start to notice and say something. 
Please, God, don't let them make fun of her for this, you silently beg. She's got enough to sort out without adding something like this on her plate. You try to stay calm and start with the obvious things. Maybe it's a vision problem. Maybe it's allergies. Maybe it's fatigue. Before long, even though you know better, you Google it. And of course, like with any symptom you innocently Google, brain tumor is on the list. As you fight to breathe, you call a friend who is a nurse and whose son actually had a brain tumor. You Googled it, didn't you? She chastises when you begin to explain. She listens patiently and reminds you to breathe. Then she offers a few other less worse suggestions that include Tourette's. And she suggests an EEG if for no other reason than to put your mind at ease. So you call your doctor and make an appointment. And you try to keep breathing. I'm Joshua. I am a Kanga. Both of the other men in our family are very objective, logical, fact-driven. And although they do have emotions, they, they are not as quick to show them. I think for a great deal of my childhood, that caused me to think that men have less emotions. Men show less emotions. A real strong man doesn't cry, doesn't get upset, doesn't show emotion. May have them and may open them up to the people that he cares most about, but shouldn't and doesn't show a lot of emotion. And I, looking at myself, could very easily see I show a lot of emotion. I have a lot of emotion, and I'm pretty quick to let it out. And, of course, that's something that I've had to work on, like, because you do need to have some, some boundaries, especially growing up with Jonathan, who absolutely will open up about his emotions in the right time to the right people. But from my perspective, frequently was just able to compartmentalize things and get stuff done and be task-oriented and not feel too much about it. And so every time that I would get upset about something, especially if it was around him, he would be very confused and sometimes a little bit critical of my opening up about my emotions. And I would feel self-critical because I'm thinking, okay, I'm weak and unable to handle my emotions like a real man should. In the last few years, I've been able to identify, especially because I have close friends that are high feelers, I've been able to see, okay, no, there is actually a way for me to be a man, not a, you know, feminine man, but an actual man, but also have feelings and show them. That's more to do with me than it is to do with Jonathan or with any other rabbit, but when, when that's my example... That, that takes some translating. Thankfully, the EEG shows that nothing is medically wrong. Stress is the culprit. So you roll up your sleeves and get to work making some strategic adjustments at home. For starters, you crack down on the criticism and stiff-arming that is happening between Kanga and her sister. You help Kanga understand that the distance between them is temporary. There's just a huge difference between a sixth grader and a freshman. Before long, they'll be right back to being best friends like they have been before. And you try to watch how you're responding to conflict around you. After all, Kanga is a sponge. Your conflict is her conflict, whether you realize it in the moment or not. All of this helps Kanga. Before long, the blinking stops and emotional balance is restored. 
And then the high school years come in with a new wave of exciting opportunities and stressful challenges. This time, however, it's not so directly related to relationships. It seems to have a lot more to do with busyness. Kanga has her normal academic load, along with church commitments. She still functions as the peacemaker in most of her relationships, but she seems to be handling that a little more wisely. To the regular teenage stuff, she adds a part-time job, volunteering in the children's ministry at church on Sunday mornings, and plenty of babysitting gigs. Everyone loves Kanga. She's so sweet and encouraging and dependable, and the more she delivers, the more the requests come rolling in. Before long, Kanga's schedule is packed. You know because you're usually the one to drive her everywhere. Even if you weren't, you can see her calendar. Everyone in your family shares their Google calendar with each other, and Kanga's is booked. Before long, you notice a change in Kanga. She's quiet. She stays in her room a lot more on the rare occasion she's home. But then she starts snapping at people. She's easily irritated with her siblings over minor offenses. She even shows a short fuse with you on occasion. And when you're helping her debrief instances of personal conflict with a friend or sibling, you notice that she seems to have a dark, jaded stance toward them and their motives. Your people-loving, upbeat, optimistic Kanga is no longer thinking the best of others. Something is wrong. So you go in for the heart-to-heart conversation that is long overdue. You know that if you're going to get anywhere with her, you need to do a lot of listening, ask plenty of questions, and make very few statements. The last thing Kanga needs is to feel judged for the way she's managing life. She needs to think and evaluate and judge herself, and she needs you to reflect it to her from her own words. So you start with a simple, it seems like you may be worn out. Can you tell me what all is going on? And then you settle in and listen. Kanga picks a place to start. You suspect it's the area that has most of her attention right now, which could mean it's the thing she's most worried about, or it could mean that it's the thing that just happened most recently. So you don't jump into solution mode over that one issue. That's not the real problem. You keep listening. Before long, you find out the toll Kanga's overbooked schedule is taking. She's not getting enough sleep, sometimes forgetting to eat, barely meeting deadlines, and has almost no downtime. When she does have the rare hour or two with nothing scheduled, she's so exhausted all she's doing is vegging on Netflix. People keep changing the scope of their request of her, and she keeps scrambling to keep up. She knows she's dropping her chores when things get really crazy, and she feels bad about that. There have even been a couple of reprimands at work because her normally stellar performance seems to be slipping. She just can't keep it all together. But she's good at hiding it from most people, so they keep asking her to do more, and she doesn't know how to make it stop. Or if she should make it stop. She thinks she just needs to try a little harder. In the moment, as the request comes, Kanga legitimately sees a way to accomplish what is being asked. She can work a little later, or get up a little earlier. She can do with a little less me time, or postpone a personal project just a little longer. After all, Kanga has been taught that selfishness is wrong, opportunities are inconvenient, and sacrifice for the good of others is noble. So, even though she's frying, she says yes, and resolves to soldier on a little further. As you listen, you start to connect the dots. 
Kanga believes her value comes from what she does for others. Not part of her value, her entire value. As with most teenagers, Kanga's thinking is simplistic and short-term. You can see she needs some intentional training and healthy boundaries that support the complexities of life. She needs to know that she's valuable simply because she is made and loved by God. She has needs too, and it is completely appropriate to consider them, even to ask others to help meet them. Though the analogy has been misused to justify selfishness, it still stands. If a plane is losing altitude, passengers are to put their own oxygen mask on first before helping others. And Kanga has just about run out of her own oxygen. She needs to stop and breathe. Hi, I'm Jonathan Moore. I am I'm actually one of the rabbits that appeared in the, the rabbit episode, and I am the brother of Joshua, who is a Kanga. Kangas have such a sensitive read on themselves and on other people. They'll notice things or they'll pick up on things that, as a rabbit, I just don't even see them. And so that leads to conclusions and actions from on their part that seem illogical at the time. But whenever you actually talk, you get a much broader perspective on the emotional aspect of the, the situation. What this tends to look like in a brother relationship is I will express emotion about a particular topic and whenever I say emotion, I, I mean very, very minimal. <laughs> and because of Joshua's sensitivity to that, he will assume that I am feeling a whole lot more than what I'm letting on. Um, and, and that's because that's what that's what he does. Um, the emotion that you get from a kanga is is not the same level that they are actually feeling. Uh, the way that I've heard Joshua describe it is basically, you know, whatever it is that he's emoting, you can multiply that by a factor of 10, and that that is actually the, the true emotion that they are feeling. And that that's what they naturally think that other people are doing as well. So whenever I would express minor irritation at something, he would take it to mean that I was, like, really, really upset. And so that would cause him to be consoling and emotionally support me. And it's, it's all from a very, very, very kind-hearted uh, place. But just as a rabbit, the last thing that I'm expecting or wanting in a, in a situation is emotional support. What I want is kind of the, the logical, reasonable um, conversation to be had. Yeah, it, it took me a while to kind of pick up on that difference between us. Once I picked up on what it was that he was doing, I, I would I would just say, I'm not I'm not like this level of emotion. I'm I'm generally irritated at this, and that that's all that it is. So to talk about the other side of things, whenever Joshua is experiencing some kind of issue or he's really stressed about something, because we're brothers and because we have this kind of relationship, um, and, and I love this, um, we can. We talk about it. It just kind of comes up in our conversations. Um, whenever he comes to me with stuff he's dealing with, I start trying to kind of jump ahead and fix the issue when that's really not what Joshua wants. Um, 
he does need it, and he will admit that he needs it, but it's not what he wants or needs at that exact time. There's a step before that, and that is to deal with the the emotion around the situation. So I have found that it has gone much better for, for both of us if I really just sit there and I'm quiet and I let him express his thoughts and feelings on the topic and really just ask questions to get him to draw out the rest of the situation and all the different aspects as he sees them. And then the, the key part is really to, to empathize from, from me to him, which is really not something that comes naturally to me at all. Um, so to not jump ahead and offer a solution, but instead to just be like, man, that that actually sounds really hard or that's really difficult or even, you know, that's really awesome. That's really cool. It's very important to not negate that emotion that they are seeing or that they are expressing. If I were to immediately jump on that as weakness, Joshua and I would be extremely strained because that's just, that is how Joshua views the world. The the reality is we we need both the logical and the emotional side of things. That will give you both a much better perspective on what needs to be done in that situation to make everything better. You tell Kanga how much you love her heart toward others and her desire to be a good worker. Then you explain the oxygen analogy and ask her to think of some things that are energizing to her. She recognizes that friend time, outdoor time, sleep, exercise, and a funny movie all do wonders to reduce her stress. Then you ask her what she thinks is a reasonable goal for working more of these things into her schedule. Kanga agrees to make a daily priority for sleep and exercise, and she will get one meetup with a friend on her calendar each week. You can sense Kanga's optimism returning as she feels relief. So you decide to go ahead and talk about a decision-making strategy while you're at it. You suspect that the real problem Kanga has when someone asks her to help or serve or contribute to their pet cause is that she can tell what they want her to say. That's the downside of all this people-orientedness. Kanga can read what others want from her. If she can remove herself from that moment, she'll be able to evaluate what the significance of accepting or rejecting the invitation really will be. Saying yes to one thing always means saying no to other things, so Kanga agrees that, until further notice, she will respond to all requests with, Can I get back to you? Then she'll take some time away from the requester to evaluate what she is agreeing to say no to if she says yes to this latest request. You also help her understand that she's not bound to only yes or no answers. She can look for other options. She may need to say no to the original request with a counteroffer of what she can do to help. My name is Kaylee and I'm a Kanga. And one of the things often misunderstood with my personality type is when I'm trying to process how I think or feel about a certain situation. A lot of times I don't know right off the bat, and I tend to just, you know, choose to be compliant with the situation until I figure it out. And so sometimes I think it seems like I'm switching sides if later on I realize, oh, I don't like the way this is going or how this is working or this is stressing me out. So I think people tend to think, oh, you were okay with it and now you're not, and that's weird. 
I just kind of need time to be able to process with someone and talk, explore both sides of the situation before I really know what I think. Another thing is I think people tend to think that I'm more sensitive than I am or that I can't handle like correction or conflict, but I would rather hear what people are honestly thinking because that helps me process a little bit better. It may not be my first preference and I'll try and avoid conflict if I can, but if it's there, I want to work it out. And even if I'm, you know, getting emotional about the situation, I don't want it to just stop because then I feel like almost like my emotions are being disregarded or how I feel like, oh, well, you can't, you know, deal with this conflict. So we're just not going to touch it at all. It's, yeah, whenever conflict does arise, if I do show any emotion or even tears, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not able to move forward with the conflict. I'm not always trying to get a reaction or a response out of the other person. It's not about trying to manipulate them. It's just what I'm feeling, and I don't know how to not express it in the moment. I guess it's kind of selfish. I'm not thinking about the other person. <laughs> I'm just thinking about what I'm feeling. I do actually need some resolution to the situation, and I know that conflict is how we get there, so I'd rather it be worked through to the end. It's hard to parent a generous, tender-hearted child. We all err to extremes, and in this case, it's easy to either shut the emotion down or wrap them up in Charmin to protect them from the world. But that's not what Kangas really need. Kangas navigate the external world by reading the feelings and motives of others. They'll take care of the benefits of this superpower, but they need your help dealing with their kryptonite. The good news is, it's amazing how quickly Kanga can process through and bounce back from her emotions with just a little help from a trusted friend or parent. So hang in there and train your Kanga to be wise and capable of withstanding the pressures of this world. We need Kangas whose hearts stay generous because their boundaries are effective. When the two go hand in hand, Kangas deliver what people need so this world will be a better place for us all tomorrow. There are teachers, counselors, salespeople, managers, caretakers, coordinators, and storytellers. Oh, there you are, Tigger, said Christopher Robin. I knew you'd be somewhere. I've been finding things in the forest, said Tigger, importantly. I found a poo and a piglet and an eeyore, but I can't find any breakfast. Oh, well then, Kanga can give you some breakfast. So they went into Kanga's house, and when Rue had said, Hello, Pooh, and hello, Piglet, once, and hello, Tigger, twice, because he had never said it before and it sounded funny, they told Kanga what they wanted, and Kanga said very kindly, Well, look in my cupboard, Tigger, dear, and see what you'd like. Because she knew at once that however big Tigger seemed to be, he wanted as much kindness as Rue. Shall I look too, said Pooh, who was beginning to feel a little 11 o'clock-ish. Just like we did with Rabbit, the weekly blog posts that will follow this episode dive into more specifics of raising a happy, healthy, successful Kanga. Because it's likely you're raising different characters from the 100-acre wood in your home, I'll give you similar articles. So we'll explore topics like how to correct Kanga effectively, school subjects no Kanga should miss, and which careers Kangas rock. I'll also have an infographic of a parent's guide to Kanga, which is a one-sheet reminder on how to train an extroverted feeler. 
Download it, print it off, and post it on your fridge or bulletin board for helpful reminders as you're working with your Kanga. So follow me on Instagram at Beyond Curriculum Podcast to see the latest posts and resources available to you. Special thanks to the Kangas and their loved ones who contributed to this episode, Christy Knuckles, Katie Gale, Joshua Moore, Jonathan Moore, and Kaylee Knuckles. A.A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh story excerpts were narrated by John Strapazon. Original music was provided by Jeff Moore, who also produced the episode. Do you have a free-spirited, in-the-moment, hands-on learner? They might be a tigger. We'll meet this bouncy ball of energy next as we continue our journey through the 100-acre wood. I'm your host, Julie Moore, and I'll see you next time on Beyond Curriculum.